Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, and welcome to another episode of Japanese Language Teachers of Australia. And today we have another guest, Catherine Tominaga from Queensland. Catherine san, konnichiwa. Konnichiwa. <laughs> Uh, so, if you could just briefly tell us about yourself so that way the listeners can get a bit of an idea as to your background. Okay, well, I teach Japanese at three primary schools in Brisbane.、Uh, I teach years three to six at one school, four to six at the other two schools. I also teach an adults class for U3A, the University of the Third age, just on a voluntary basis, which is a lot of fun. My husband is Japanese, and we have four children, all adults now. Two were born in Japan, and two were born in England, where we lived for a few years. Okay, that's a very, I guess, <laughs> diverse teaching that you have currently.、Um, so,、yeah. what was your, I guess, first encounter with the Japanese language and culture? Well, I first started Japanese when I was in year eight, which is over 40 years ago. Pretty soon I'll have to say almost 50 years ago, but for the time being, it's marginally closer to 40 than 50.、Mm-hmm. We had、um, three languages at my high school in year eight, and we could either do double French or we could select two of the three options between French, German, and Japanese. Mm-hmm. And my first choice was German because the German teacher was so lovely. There may be some people listening to this who know where I went to school and know who the long serving German teacher at my school was, and they will understand exactly what I mean. But Japanese was completely new to me, and it was not something that I'd ever considered. But my high school had a one year exchange with a sister school in Japan that we could apply for in year 12 to go for the year after graduating. And I don't know, that really captured my imagination for the first time in my life. I thought about the possibility of traveling overseas.、Okay. I think these days, overseas travel is quite commonplace. But at that time, you know, my parents hadn't even been overseas. I was the first in my family to go abroad. And, um, and it was also unusual at that time for schools to offer Japanese as a subject,、um, or perhaps it was just starting to become popular here in Queensland. I just, I just always think that if I'd gone to a different high school,、um, which was a, you know, a real possibility, I wouldn't have studied Japanese. And so I have no idea what I would be doing today if that was the case. <laughs> okay, so that obviously inspired you to live in Japan as a、yep. foreigner. Can you、mm-hmm. tell us about? What was it like living in Japan, or when was it that you lived in Japan? Yeah, my first experience was as a high school exchange student.、Um, and I'd gone to Japan expecting everything to be different, and it was. So that didn't really surprise me as such. I remember experiencing reverse culture shock when I returned. And then I've also spent a year at university in Japan, and that was in Tokyo. I loved and still do love Tokyo very much. And then after graduating my master's program at university, I went to work in Tokyo. I worked for a publishing company that was doing some business unrelated to publishing. They were doing some business in Australia, and I was helping out with interpreting and translating. That was a great experience. And then when I married, we settled in Saitama. I still worked in Tokyo until my eldest was born. And then I had the pleasure of experiencing child rearing in Japan. And I made、okay. some really lifelong friends there.、Hmm. Okay. So living in Japan in the 
I'm assuming it's 80s. Yeah. As yeah. a foreigner, what was it like at that time? I don't know. Like in high school, I was in Kyushu. I was in Nagasaki Prefecture, and、um, but even then, the the city that I was in did have it had. I was in Sasebo, where there's an American naval base. So. They weren't unaccustomed to foreigners in Sasebo, and then, of course, when I lived when I lived in Tokyo for university and for work, there were still quite a few foreigners around there. In Saitama, I think I was the only one in my area, or there weren't very many in my area. And when I go back now, there's plenty of foreigners, and I think, oh, they're encroaching on my territory. But you know, <laughs> that's fine. Sure.、Mm. So, what was it like raising interracial children in Japan? Well, our children have fully Japanese names, and they grew up speaking Japanese as their first language. We always spoke Japanese at home, even when we lived in England. And I'm not sure what others around us thought, but I always felt very much part of the community. I would forget that I looked different. We left Japan to move to Australia as my eldest was finishing year four in primary school. Perhaps if we'd stayed longer, my experience or the experience of my children may, may have been different. But personally, I have nothing but wonderful memories of raising children in Japan, and I just feel. You know, so fortunate that they were able to be young children in Japan. I think it gave them a wonderful grounding, and and I don't know, just helped them to be the beautiful people that they are because of the values instilled in them in Japan. And I think raising children in Japan is is a real, or it certainly was in our time when when my children were young, a real community effort, and I really appreciated the community support to bring up children with strong values. Yeah. Okay. Now you are also television in Japan, and as a, someone who is living in Japan as a foreigner, can you share a bit of a, that background as to how you came to that, and I guess opportunity to be on Japanese television? Oh well, that was a really funny story because I, when I was here at university here in Brisbane, I worked at a Japanese restaurant, and the, one of the chefs who was at the restaurant at the time,、uh, when he eventually moved back to Japan, I, I don't know the, how this all came about, but he turned, he became like a, a celebrity chef, I guess you'd say, who was on、mm-hmm. television in Japan, and then somebody that my husband worked with. That person's wife, I think, was somebody who worked on the set of this TV show. You know, it was just the connections. It's just like six degrees of separation kind of situation. And so it came up in conversation that, oh, my wife used to work with that chef when when he was in Australia, sort of situation. So then they asked, they were looking for people to be on the show. So. Another friend of mine from university days and I ended up appearing on the show, so that was pretty funny. <laughs> okay, quite scary experience. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so、um, getting back to the, I guess, more of a teaching related, but what are some of the challenges you have faced in your professional career? Well, I I haven't been teaching for that long because I only started teaching after we moved back to Australia, and then I had to finish off my teaching degree, which I had started externally while was while we still lived in Japan. For the first year, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to teach. 
So I, I did a year of relief teaching, which was a great experience to have the chance to work at lots of different schools. I mostly taught at high schools in that year and thought that that's where I would probably work permanently. Uh, the main thing that puts me off to this day teaching in high school is that I don't want to be asked to teach other subjects to make up a full-time load sure. because I have no interest in teaching anything other than Japanese. Challenges, I guess, you know, the same as as many others the class full of students who have to be there teaching in primary school it's compulsory it's not an elective so i'm always looking for how i can make language learning relevant and engaging for them how i can help them to feel success and recognize the progress that they're making so that they don't become one of those people who says oh i learned japanese for x number of years and all i can do is count to 10 or something like that the majority of students that I teach go on to high schools that also teach Japanese. So I think that's, I'm very grateful for that. I don't want them to feel burnt out or no longer interested in learning languages. A, a challenge for me, obviously I teach across three schools. I have over 700 students. So some of them I only see for 30 minutes a week. So it's a challenge to make personal connections with them, but but they're good challenges. I love trying to improve my practice and each day, each week, each year and mm. rise to those challenges. Yeah. Okay. So what, I guess, advice would you give to the, the teachers who have multiple schools or multiple primary schools in order to cope in a sane way, I guess? Well, I do. And I know a lot of teachers do this, but it can vary from teacher to teacher. I keep a fairly similar program across all of my schools. I teach different classes for different lengths of time. So that can vary the amount that I can cover in, in one lesson, but I still do teach a pretty similar program to the same year level across all of my schools. And just the classes that I have for longer, I can go into more depth or we can do a few different extra activities. So I think that um, helps. Compared, to, I do have, I am very fortunate to have my own classroom at each of my schools. Mm -hmm. But compared to when I first started teaching, I don't have the need because of the way I teach now to carry a lot of resources with me. As long as I have my laptop, I'm pretty much set, uh, you know, just a few little odds and ends here and there. And as I said, because I have my own classroom, I can have some visual, you know, authentic resources and things like that kept in each classroom so yeah I don't know advice it's all so different but I think the the main thing is to um even if you are on your own as a language teacher to not to not be alone to reach out to the the broader community you know mm -hmm. that's one of the best things that we can all do for each other is support each other <laughs> sure you mentioned about teaching adults. Mm -hmm. What is it like teaching both primary school and adults within the same week? Yes, well, that particular class happens to fall on my busiest day of the week. So I have I have nine classes at school and I, and I swap schools during the day. So I get to them, I'm quite already a little bit physically exhausted, but it's a small class and they're adults. So, you know, it's, it's very um, relaxed and easy, but I often say to them, oh, I just want to try something out with you that I want to do with my students. So I, I try little things out on them first, because I know that they're a very sympathetic audience. <laughs> and uh, so I can, it's, I can use it as a little bit of a practice run for 
things. And then I get to do some different, have some different conversations with them as well. But I, I teach in pretty much the same way for both, but just, you know, the content. Sometimes, obviously, we can have more mature conversations with an adult audience. But uh, yeah, otherwise, not, not too different. Just I do notice, I, obviously, I don't have to spend any time managing behaviour with my adults. True. So what would you say is your proudest moment in your teaching career? I think as a language teacher, uh, those moments when students have connections with the language and they find uses for their language in other situations, they might see something on TV or they might go to a restaurant and they and they actually understand some of the language that they're hearing around them those sorts of things. Once in class, we had some visiting Japanese students and uh, and the students, when we first, when I first brought the Japanese students into the class, I sat them in little mixed groups with some Japanese students with my Australian students and they just had a little get to know you time speaking in Japanese or in English, whatever they could muster. And, uh, and one little student said, um, yes, I had a conversation and I said, oh, tell me, what did you say? And he said, oh, I said this and they answered it and I understood. And he was so proud of himself and it really was like it was an exchange of two probably phrases, possibly not even full sentences, you know, but it was just this little exchange. And for him, that was a conversation. And I just thought that was really beautiful. Sometimes students say they want to be fluent in Japanese and and we think, oh my goodness, there's no way you're going to be fluent in Japanese, you know, just in my little, in your little time with me over a few years. But I think sometimes what what students consider fluent too might be different from what we, the, the standards we set for ourselves. And, and they're very happy to just have had that little conversation. Nowadays, as as we're as I'm transitioning between classes, picking the class up from their PE lesson and walking down to my classroom, I'll be having conversations, very simple little conversations, but with the students in Japanese as we walk along, oh, atsui desu ne, and, you know, those sorts of things. And, and you know, yeah, a few years ago, we wouldn't have been having those conversations necessarily in Japanese. But now, it, yeah, it's definitely Japanese has become much more frequently heard in the in the school grounds. And that's that's a lovely feeling. Another really proud moment this year was I'd prepared some little videos that the students could watch outside of class time. And a parent said to me, oh, the, my boys were they couldn't on the way to footy training they wanted to they were watching this Japanese video in the back of the car on her phone and I just thought oh my goodness my students are viewing these videos in Japanese on their way to footy training I thought yes I've made it <laughs> that's it yeah that's good always great when students not just spending their time in the classroom but also outside the classroom just to improve their language yeah yeah, it was really good to think that that students would want to, would be asking their mum, can I borrow your phone so I can watch this video? That was just beyond any of my expectations. <laughs> and that was a primary school student? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I guess you answer my question mostly, but what is the best thing about being a Japanese educator? You know, for me, all my job is all day, every day, to talk about my favourite subject, 
using my favorite language to speak. So I don't have any experience teaching any other subject areas, but from what I hear, our Japanese teaching community is particularly strong and collegial, and, and it's wonderful to be part of that community. So that's what I enjoy most about being a Japanese teacher, I think. Okay, great. And finally, what is your favorite Japanese word or phrase? Well, I love all of the words and phrases that the other guests on the podcast have shared so far.、Um, you know, Otsukare sama desu, who doesn't love that? And Gambate kudasai and Hatsu sensei's saying, Koke no ichinen iwa omotosu. That was lovely. <laughs> But for me, very different kind of an answer. I love the sound of. Probably pretty much any word in Japanese that has a small tsu in it. So I love words like sekkaku, kekkyoku, bikkuri, ototo, and all of those. And one that I love sharing with my students whenever we do origami is hikkuri kaishimasu. <laughs> these are my favorite words. <laughs> any particular reason as to why you like those? No,、like、I just combination characters. I don't know. I don't know. I just love the sound of it. <laughs> They're、okay. fun to say.、Hmm. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for your time today. And well, good luck in your future. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you, Shingo. And、uh, it was a pleasure talking with you and everyone. And all the best to everyone with all of their Japanese teaching.